You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network. Go. Hey, everybody, it's Rick Bassman here live on Maui with Talking Tough. I'm wearing this uh, this beanie today because it is freaking cold out here. And I know this is going to piss off a lot of people, probably including one of our two wonderful producers, John Paz, who's on the eastern half of the U.S. But by cold, I'm talking like 65 degrees. But 65 feels like 62 out here. And uh, we've become very accustomed to our nice weather. So anyway, that's... Uh, the reason for the beanie today and the hot tea and all that good stuff. Um, my, my other built-in excuse for the day, I was explaining to my longtime friend and our esteemed guest today, Josh Barnett, just a moment ago, that I went in for what I thought were two injections in my uh, back today for the ongoing battle against uh, back and spinal deterioration and back pain. And it turned into 14 injections with a lot of anesthesia um, including being put into twilight. So I'm just going to go ahead and say, if I'm a little loopy, and I'll try not to be, that's my built-in excuse. John, Rachel, you know what? That would be a good excuse for like every show, actually. We may want to think about that. Uh, our guest today is, uh, is Josh Barnett. We'll bring him on in a moment. Um, he's now, everyone knows who Josh Barnett is in the, in the fighting world, in, in the wrestling world now in the bourbon world and uh, in, in so many other places. And he's known these days as the War Master. Now, when I first knew Josh, his nickname, appropriately, I thought, was the Babyface Assassin. And they, they were both, it was a perfect um, description of who he was because he had that look, that Babyface. You know, now he looks like he should be on the Vikings uh, series. And... Of the assassin speaks for itself. And, and I bring this up from Babyface Assassin to the War Master because this guy's career has evolved so much and covered so much ground that I think going from the Babyface Assassin to the War Master pretty much tells the, the tale of the performer that his fans know, of, of the man people closer to him know. And uh, we'll get into why that makes more sense when we bring on I'm very happy to welcome my longtime friend, the legendary Josh Barnett. Josh. <laughs> Hello. From hey, Babyface to Warmaster. I know, right? Dude, that's um did you did you come up with both those names or did somebody else give those to you? The rule of nicknames is you don't get to pick your nickname. If you pick your nickname, you are an absolute tool. Doesn't work that way. Someone okay. picks your nickname, you get given a nickname. So TJ Thompson, who's out there in Hawaii, yep. and Matt Hume came up with the nickname of the Babyface Assassin uh, early on in my career, and it did fit because I was very babyfaced. But with uh, time and scars and uh, and all the battles in the ring, not to mention any poorly poorly made decisions in the middle of the night, maybe uh, out in Rapungi, then uh, you, you you cease to be babyfaced anymore, and uh, uh, the band Bolt Thrower from Birmingham, UK, a uh, death metal band, 
they gave me the nickname the war master from one of their albums and also uh derived from this character in warhammer 40,000 this this role-playing game property called the war master so tj tj in hawaii with babyface assassin you mm-hmm. know i i know your career fairly well um i know the highlights um, admittedly, I'm nowhere near the walking encyclopedia that our producer, John, pauses. He could probably list every fight, every match you've ever had and the ones you probably will have in the future. For Hawaii, though, I'm not familiar. Did you fight for um, for Super Brawl or for Icon? I fought for Super Brawl, and that was where I made my name. I fought in a the Super Brawl 13 World Heavyweight Tournament, which had people from championships all around the world, and I won that. And then I fought in a super fight against Dan Severn, uh, Future Brawl 2000, it was called. And that was uh, uh, Super Brawl 16. Uh, it, yeah, technically it would be 16 in the order. And it was in, uh, in the year 2000. Do you remember everybody you fought in that tournament? Yep. I beat uh, first round was the world's strongest man, 230 pounds and under from Finland, Yuha Tukasari. I armbarred him. And then I beat uh, the neutral grounds champion, John Marsh, by mm-hmm. uh, double wrist lock. And then I beat the, was it Extreme Challenge champion, Bobby Hoffman, yep. uh, by decision in the finals. Those are a bunch of big, you know, back in the day, Josh, and here, here's one thing I have to ask you about. Okay, we're going to keep coming back to babyface for a minute. And we will get past this, I promise you. But there was a time in the evolution of mixed martial arts where – the, the average fan thought the toughest guy on earth was a guy who looked the part. And I'm sure you you know what I'm talking about. You know, the, the body, the tattoos. I think when people looked at you back then, they wouldn't have said that is arguably the toughest man on earth right there. And I think there's an argument no. to be made for that. I really believe that. No, they would they definitely wouldn't have thought that. And uh, I, I, I fully understand why. So, I mean, and mixed martial arts brought about the change where the guy with the black belt necessarily or you know the the fancy martial artist uh who supposedly his hands are registered well that got completely blown out of the water that guy got annihilated then it was oh well it's the the big jacked up dude with the uh with the barbed wire tattoo around the forearm and the tribal stuff and then then it was like well no it's not necessarily that either uh that guy could be really tough or maybe not that's it's more to it than that and uh i consider myself a second generation mma fighter so with uh, of the modern era, with the first generation being Hoist, Ken Shamrock, Oleg Takarov, uh, Marco Huas, guys like that, Henzo even. So outside of the UFC, but still that's that first era. Eric Paulson is definitely one of them, uh, and Matt Hume. And then I came as you know stage two. You know, I'm a second second era uh, MMA guy. Right, right. Yes, like I've, me, always, I've always Vitor. been. A, I'm sorry. Go on. Oh, like me and Vitor were probably the longest. Uh, that are still hanging around. Uh, Dan Henderson was, was one of those second-generation MMA guys like me, but yeah, we're I think me and Vitor are about all that's left. Yeah, yeah, I I, I believe that's right. I, I think in the same terms as far as that original era and then the second, and yeah, exactly right. I can't think of anybody. Well, left. and to I go mean, to your may, question, maybe Mauricio to a degree. Yeah, so no, he may, was, maybe in there too. arguably. But um, uh, but yeah. yeah, Shogun, yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, but it's, co- it's coming to an to end, add, no doubt about to it. To add to the that tournament, uh, there was a a poll done on Full Contact Fighter back when that was where the Underground Forum was, and mm-hmm. 
Um, I think I came in like near dead last and, and voting uh, of people uh, predicting who was going to win the tournament. And that's, that's because, what... yeah, yeah, well, I mean, Heath Herring was in it. Uh, it was Heath Herring and uh, Travis Fulton and Rocky Battistini. Mm-hmm. And there was also, um, uh, yeah, Rico Rodriguez, who was coming off of winning Abu Dhabi. And so a lot of people picked either Rico or they picked uh, Heath. And both right. Rico and Heath went down in the first round. Oh, I'm sorry, Rico and uh, and Fulton. And because both of them lost in the first round. For... Yeah, and, and it's a hell of a lineup. And I apologize, I wasn't familiar with it. And the, the reason I went to the... Um, back to the baby face thing again and the way guys looked was you get John Marsh and, uh, and Bobby Hoffman, two of your opponents. These were guys who back in the day would have been poster children for what people thought a mixed martial artist looked like. There's no doubt about it. And, uh, that's a, it's a hell of a victory. And, and speaking of, it was funny you mentioned Eric Paulson, you and Eric are, are pretty good buddies, aren't you? Mm-hmm. My, uh, it's an old story and I'll, I'll tell you fast, but I think you'll get a laugh out of it. My brother in college, he had a best buddy named Bob Dumity. I'll never forget this. Bob was about 6'5", 285 pounds and jacked to the gills. And he told a story about how he and his brother of equal looks and stature were once walking on a beach in the South Bay when some, when some skinny baby-faced blonde guy started picking on them. And they answered it and they got the shit beat out of them. And about... 15 years later in a conversation with Eric was able to put together. It was Eric who did that. It was just, uh, <laughs> and I had to call uh, my brother and let him know all those years later that we found the culprit <laughs> was pretty good. Well, that's pretty wild. I mean, he, he does have a bit of a mean streak in him when it, when he, when he gets fired up. Uh, so I guess it's not that surprising with Eric, especially, man, there was a point in the late eighties, early nineties when all this MMA stuff was kind of taken off. And people were just invigorated and electrified in trying to, to, to express it, but there was nowhere to do it, you know? So there's people training all the time, folks wanting to, to, to fight and get out there and you know, figure out how they could get in a ring. I mean, I tell people that when I started fighting, that finding an official place to actually get a sanctioned fight was pretty hard and few and far between. So you just fought wherever you could. And the idea that uh, you might meet someone on an internet forum and go fight them somewhere, that seems ridiculous, mm-hmm. but it did happen. I can, you know, I answered the call at 19 years old, beat up grown ass men. That's amazing, man. You know, it was, it was really cool being around at those times. Um, I, of course, my perspective Tell- is different than yours because I wasn't, gonna, I wasn't, I, True. And you were a promoter and you were involved yes. in professional wrestling and other things. And you also helped in bridging that pro wrestling MMA gap. Right. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to make you, well, I'm going to, I can't make you do anything, but I'm going to, I'm going to press you on talking about uh, Venom. With, I, I was uh, about to bring uh, up Venom. That is so funny, Josh. Clint, I was about to mention Venom. Yes, go ahead. Please. Clint Dahl. Yeah, Clint Dahl uh, putting this whole thing together and doing it in a soundstage so no one would know what was happening. And mm-hmm. you bring in guys, Eddie uh, from Shark Tank, Eddie Millis bringing in guys, yep. guys coming from all over. Um, Stephen Quadros and was it John Sally doing commentary? Right. Uh, just a wild thing. And the product has never seen light of day yet. 
it's funny because according to Clint, that demo has made the rounds. And it was funny because one of the guys who produced Bodog back in the day, go, I was talking to Clint. I go, man, Bodog sure looks a lot like Venom. I mean, maybe it's not in the warehouse, but I mean, the format, the, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, this is very much like Venom. And then as it turns out, one of the producers had been given that demo a long time ago. And it's so wild because Venom was done in what, like 1999, maybe something like that. Uh, and roughly, yes. yes. And it looked awesome. Everybody had a backstory. Everybody had a reason to care about why they fought. Uh, what was it? Uh, Jamie Fletcher is fighting a guy and his leg snaps. Oh, no, no, no. It wasn't Jamie Fletcher. It was, uh, what's his face? Unbreakable Sean. Or what was, uh, what is that guy's name? He used to be one of Eddie's guys. Brian, Brian uh, Warren. Brian Warren. That's it. Leg clack. And then there was the dude that used to be, uh, who used to do bank robberies in, in New Mexico or something like that. I forget his name. Him, him, uh, him I don't remember, but I don't doubt it. Okay. With the, with the, there was a guy with his hair was braided into pigtails. Mike something and he also <laughs> fought in king of the cage sometimes uh and there what yeah and then sean, there was you brought sean o'hare sean o'hare made his debut on that show that's right he beat the shit out of somebody and then he, there was a uh, la giant sean beat up uh tito ortiz's six foot nine inch fighter uh tony Towers. they called him la yes la wasn't that wasn't he also known as the la giant was that the same guy that was Corey. that was a different oh, giant yeah. actually who also yeah. fought on that show that was, uh, that was Sean McCulley's boy, the L.A. Giant. That's right. Can you imagine having some show nobody's ever heard of, just put together whatever, and you've got a six foot nine guy, a six foot five guy, a six, <laughs> all these behemoths just showing up, and all like so many of these guys that would go out and have career. Didn't Antonio McKee fight on that thing too? Possibly. Uh, yeah, God, he did. He did. Uh, Hawk, Hawk Yunkins, a reality guy from the real world. I mean, it was all over the freaking place. Yeah. The good, the bad, yeah. and, and the indifferent. They were, they were all part of it. But, you know, Josh, I, I miss that, man. Um, I don't know if, you know, I promoted the first ever licensed mixed martial arts event in the state of California, even before UFC got their first one off. And it was at the it was at a nightclub, the 4th and B in San Diego. Mm -hmm and still try to make it look like a bunch, you know, a bit of a monster movie. Like I had Maverick on the show, The Soul Collector, and Shannon Rich, and, you know, got characters. The way mm -hmm. you, you know, you mentioned the gap between pro wrestling and MMA, which is something I want to talk to you about, because I don't think anyone's bridged that gap as strongly and as prominently as you have. But I, I always wanted to book my shows that way. And when regulation came in, and granted, it needed to become a sport. It needed to be made safer. I'm all for that. But, man, it took a lot of the fun out of it. It definitely did. No doubt about it. Yeah, understandably so. And, uh, uh, you know, with the larger organizations popping up, uh, it, would, it, would be, it could be tough to try and keep something going because if anybody looked like they might have an ounce of popularity, they would just get brought in somewhere else. You couldn't hold on to them. And it's yeah. tough to grow anything of that nature without a lot, a lot of capital to be able to burn through as you're, as you're growing the product. But uh, yeah, the, the wild West ish elements of MMA were part of what made it so much fun. And hell nowadays you bring up the idea of maybe somebody fighting more than once in one night, not only do commission people freak out, but the fighters themselves are like, Oh God, I don't know about that. Or if you 
deviate from the rules even a little bit as they are for, let's say, UFC and the unified style of fights. No, they freak out. I mean, they're just so, it's almost as if people have become so utterly particular that they've lost a bit of the the whole notion in the first place to go out there and challenge yourself and, and live this adventurous life fighting in the ring when you could, because the likelihood is that the amount of time you're going to have in your life to be able to compete like that is very, very short. And uh, you, you don't know if you're going to get a couple years out of it or 20, you know? Yeah, so, so that said, we, we know these careers are relatively short. And I, I don't want to stay all on fighting tonight because we have so much to talk about with your, with your new um, liquor, with the bourbon company and your new promotion. There's so much to talk We're not new anymore. Your established promotion. There's a lot to talk about. But while, while we're on the subject, though, you have been at it for so long. And you're, you've always, from day one, have been at an elite level. When do you see wrapping it up at any time, or do you still have some big, big goals in uh, the wild world of regulated mixed martial arts? There's still, there's still uh, time in this body to still go out there and fight. I still have some more fights under my belt that uh, I'd like to get in. And some of it is legacy. Some of it is just simply that uh, the way I, I approach this is that I, I do it until I can't. And then I have to be honest with myself about when that time comes. But when it does come, that's it. Move on. Don't run this into the ground and run you into the ground with it or your legacy. So knowing that it will end is something I accept. When that's going to be, I don't know exactly. But I know that I want to get the most out of it while I still have the opportunity to do so. And so that's just it. Using so it up. Health-wise, and. Uh, you know, vis-a-vis -vis lack of lack of injury, um, speed, reflexes. How are you feeling in all of those categories? Yeah, fair. You know, I mean, nothing's perfect, and you're always dealing with something. Your body's often adapting to bad motor patterns or injuries or things, or even just repetition uh, brought on by by drilling and just. Um, how do I put it, uh, creating a, a efficiency of movement. This, these things can actually have a deleterious effect over time too, because if it is beneficial to, to stand in a certain way and to be able to pivot and kick and do this and do that, well, maybe it also is, brings your body into a position where just regular every, every day to day stuff or, or just doing this over time puts you into these motor patterns that weaken other things or, or create deficits. It's like people that box and wrestle all the time, their shoulders are constantly forward from having their hands up or, or being in the resting position. And so it's just little stuff like that, like trying to check yourself and go, oh shit, I should stand up straight, I should pull my shoulders back, little, little stuff like that. But mostly okay, I mean, good. I can well, still you, spell so my name. <laughs> so I'm all, I'm all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got that, clearly, thank God. Um, you mentioned potential legacy fights. Now, we, we all know there's been some near misses with you and Fedor, of course. And we know that with Fedor's advertised retirement tour and with you both being signed to Bellator, that, that's got to be a, an obvious one that you're after. Or at least I would think it is an obvious one. It it's is the only one that makes sense. It's the one that makes oh, – I shouldn't say it's the only one that makes sense, but it's the one that makes the most sense. Uh, 
And I've explained this before that part of it is, is not only is it a legacy fight for MMA, in my opinion, but it's also a legacy fight for me because you don't get the opportunity to get into the ring with uh, someone that, that was highly regarded as the best fighter in the world, let alone someone that you deeply respect and you consider a friend. And maybe that's counterintuitive that you want to go out there and punch your friend in the schnoz. But yeah, yeah I do. I want to punch my buddy right, right in his beak. And okay. I expect that he's going to do the same to me. And that's part of what makes it so enticing. Well, I, I know that the world would love to see that one. No, have, no doubt. You, they would love to see me getting hit in the face. Well, they can't get enough of it. <laughs> I, I don't know, Josh. You know what? I think maybe arguably there was a time when you weren't the most loved guy out there, maybe. Um, but that's that's changed now. People um, pe people <sighs> are drawn to you these days. It, uh, dude, you went, from, you went from like the baby face that not everybody loved to the old rugged Viking who everybody loves now. Do you look at it that way or do you see it differently? I don't know. I don't know. I, I know I, I have some great fans and uh, there, there, there is a fan base out there that really is behind what I do and supports me. And I am very thankful for that. There's even uh, I'm, I can say there's a significant amount of people that are not fans of mine that, that love to, to, to uh, approach what I do with negativity but even then, there's a bit of love in that, you know, that they're so spurred on to to talk about what I'm doing and myself, even if it's not in a uh, a very uh, kind light. That's okay. You're still you're still promoting me in a way. I'm still living in your head, and maybe in some way you you actually are in some kind of admiration of what that is. Either way, I'm still bringing something to the world that that gives people interest. And while I would much prefer people to be positive than negative, just in general, because it's it's uh, it's better to build things up than tear things down. And there's it's way easier to go to go negative and to be um, not critical in a in a not critical in a in a building in a in a positive uh, developmental sense, but just being critical because you can be a critic. Well, fine, whatever, you know, sure. I can't, I can't control how people digest things, but I think that by staying to who I am and my ethos and just driving forward and always building and creating and being the person that, um, that, that acquires the relationships that I do because of who I am and how I treat them, it'll, it'll all work out in the end. Yep. Good. Wow, I'm just taking that in. It make it makes such perfect sense um, on, on every level. You know, it's like uh, remember when we were doing. Uh, remember when we were doing stuff with. Uh, uh, God, what was the agency you were with again? Uh, um, well, when you had us uh, initially, Triad, which became William Morris, but then later uh, CESD, the Cunningham Agency. Yeah, so I remember working with you at stuff at CESD, and then doing uh, skits for the Tonight Show and stuff like that. Right and pairing pairing up with, uh, uh, God damn it, my my buddy. Uh, oh my God, how how am I not remembering his name? I can see his face cl clear as day. Uh, why am I blanking? Uh, give give me Bannon. a hint. Maybe I can help out. Uh, Bannon, Chad Bannon. 
Oh, Chad. Chad. God loves yeah. Chad. Yeah, of course. And so uh, doing doing stuff for the Tonight Show with, with Chad. And, and actually, my friend Mickey Black even was in a skit related, uh, one that, that was not filmed at the same time that I did my piece. But that's just all that goofy kind of stuff, man. So much fun. I think you. Yeah, yeah, I think you uh, also you sent me in on uh, one. Yeah, I think you sent you sent me. Uh, who's the guy that does uh, ex pro wrestler that does motorcycles? Like he, he's big into the motorcycle customizing and building industry. Oh, uh, and he's Chuck, jacked as shit. Chuck Palumbo. Yeah. So me, I saw Chuck Palumbo. Uh, we all went in for uh, Hannah Montana that you, right, you set us up right. with. Yeah. And the what how it came down in the end was that. John Cena was already up for the role anyway. So we're like, what the fuck are you seeing us for? Even if we did a better job, you're not going to want to use us. Why, why, why are you wasting Rick's time? But that's Hollywood, right? Yeah. And they probably they probably failed to reveal that to me up front as well. But Well, they never do. They never tell anyone that like, oh, yeah, well, we're seeing John Cena for this. But, you know, how about could you send us in a few guys? It's like. Yeah, and yeah, let's take your time. Let's take their time. Right, the whole, the whole nine yards. That's that's Hollywood for you. As did you, know, you uh, did you get you, uh, there. you know I that do. You did you get uh, did you get Michael Hearn into some stuff? Uh, many things over the years. Yes, different things. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Course, Me and Mike went in for uh, uh, a Heineken uh, commercial, and I remember getting to the the callbacks and seeing. Read finally getting the sides on what it was, and they wanted an old timey, uh, like handlebar mustachey kind of boxer guy. And I go, Why did you give callbacks to like the dude with dreadlocks? That does right. that's not period correct. What are you going to make this guy shave his whole head? I mean, maybe you could, uh, but the funny thing was, and so that the director sits there and he goes, Okay, well, well, the, the director. Is sitting there and with all the production, they're all right, they line us all up. Uh, even uh, Jean Claude Loyer showed up for this thing and K1 Kickboxer. And so, okay, shadow box for me for about you know 10 seconds. And the first guy steps up and he doesn't know fuck all, oh. he knows nothing. <laughs> we about see that striking. so often, don't we? Yes, and it just kept going down the line. Then guys just started yelling a lot and screaming, and it was horrible. And so it's all just people just yelling and being just ridiculous. And so it's coming up to me. So my thought is I'm just going to do, I'm going to be so real about it that I, everyone else is, is, is doing their whole thing. I'm going to be completely the opposite. And so I just stepped in, just kind of thumbed my nose a little bit and then just, just start ripping combos off and doing head work and footwork and stuff like this. And the guys are just sitting back there and they go, wow, you're really good at this. Next. <laughs> like that. Dude, you just never know in that world. And and like you said, they don't always give you the, the straight up. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. I, I've gotten a little better at sussing that out all these years later and uh you know making sure no one's time is wasted anymore. But we're we're all yeah. learning back. Well, how did you uh how did you hook up all those goofballs to do stuff in Thailand? Because you clearly sent some of the most goofiest goofballs of our whole little group. And you got Nathan Jones. You had mm -hmm. you had uh, you had Bear. You had Turkey. You had Tom. Uh, ah, God, who else did you say? It was just oh, probably a stuff. Horseshoe, Luther Reigns, Horseshoe. Uh, yeah. Yep. Yep. <laughs> oh, you also had uh, 
big dude uh, who was the not the original, but he was the mountain the longest in the originally in uh, uh, Game of Thrones. So there was like one guy who who did like one episode very early on, but you didn't really see him. But when the mountains would first time you ever saw his face, any of that kind of stuff that you sent that guy over, I think also to go do some work. And he used to pro wrestle too, I think. You know, Josh, I'm going to have to, um, I'm going to have to blame my anesthetic for my, for my 14 shots on this one. I cannot come up with a name, man. Um, yeah. I, yeah. Uh, let me look this dude up. And, and I honestly, I, and nothing against, um, um, nothing against uh, Half Thor, like the, the powerlifter guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's perfectly reasonable human. I mean, he seems fine. He's a great guy, I'm sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I just felt like his, he couldn't move and he didn't, he didn't have, the emotiveness that uh, Conan Stevens. And, Conan, oh yeah, yeah, Conan Stevens, of course. And I, I felt good like Con- really Conan good dude, was a pretty decent actor. Yep, he was by far the best version of the mountain on that show. He, he just looked like he seethed rage in a way that was unreal. That you He's just you watch him on screen, you're like, oh yep. shit, yeah. Well, he's legit. He's legit seven two also. But oh, he's enormous. I want to, I want to switch a little bit and ask you a really goofy question. Back to oh, more goofier than so me bringing know, up this shit. Okay, <laughs> this is goofier. Yes, you you know how Thor has. Do you know he has a fight coming up? Are you you aware of that? Oh wait, that's right. He's going to do a boxing match against another powerlifter strongman guy. Yeah, another the other strongman. His name is Eddie something. I can't think of the last name. This guy's got like four million followers on Instagram, and he lo- he looks absolutely inhuman. His size, his body, his look, the whole nine yards. So I get why they're booking this fight. They're, they're banking on their followings to have a freak show. Here's the so Hoff Thor is, I believe. I don't think this is a pro wrestling exaggeration. I think Hoff Thor is about six eight three sixty, if I'm not mistaken. Jack to the gills. He's now supposedly been training for this fight for months. So here's the goofy question: How quickly would you, how quickly would you eat that guy's lunch? <laughs> Probably within a minute and a half, at least. Uh, and that's just if I'm just picking away at him, jabbing him, moving him, and just making him work. I think if unless these are one minute rounds with two minute rests, these guys are yeah, screwed. Sure. <laughs> sure. Oh, it's gonna be nonsense yeah. out there. But you know, it's it's not. It's not uh, a good idea to discount somebody that big. I mean, I used to train Bob Sapp, and one of the things that I used in training him was the fact that he was so much bigger than his opponents that even if they put their guard up, you can just blast right through them. You can keep keep the pressure on them. And so I would tell Bob, like, hey, just get in there, get moving, and then just crush their guard. Don't worry about it. They're, you're too big for them to deal with. You know, Josh, one thing I didn't do on this episode, and I always do, is I apologize in advance for an outburst from my pit bulls because it's inevitable. And it's happening now. So my apologies if it's getting distracted. And I'm, I'm uh, trying to manage it while, while we're doing this. So apologies okay. for all the, the noise in the background. Um, dude, so Bob, Bob Sapp, oh, my gosh. 
You ever hear about the um, the WWE deal that Bob Sapp was offered? No, you're 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 about the most no. intelligent businessman that I know. That's a fighter, and I want to see what you make of this. Uh, this will sound like absolute pro wrestling exaggeration bullshit. Bob had an offer at the height of his fame in Japan for a five million dollar a year downside guarantee with a two-year term that would could not be cycled, meaning that he had a two-year guarantee. And Bob managed to bob it as only Bob can. And uh, <laughs> the, the bobbing part, I can, I can absolutely believe. He, uh, he's too smart for his own good sometimes, and yeah. he gets some wacky ideas in his head. He's, a, he's a, at his heart, he is a very – he's a kind-hearted, goofy, fun-loving individual. But, yeah, he, has a, he has a tendency to get him – to uh, to kind of monkey up some things sometimes, get some wrenches in the works, and you know it's we're not perfect. I'll say that much. But uh, one of the things about Bob was that when I was training him, if he is fully um, invested in the project, at, if he's really putting his heart into it, the guy is what I consider a class called a super athlete. Like he could, the things he could do were impressive as hell. And while striking was a little harder for him to pick up, funny enough, even though he did all those K1 matches, that was the thing that was uh, laid out for him. His grappling, he took to grappling like a fish to water, and he could finagle and figure out really kind of complex stuff for a person of that size. And just like, wow, okay. I am very – color me impressed, seriously. Um, well, you know, he is, uh, his talent was, was insane. I was in Korea with him and uh, and Sam Greco when uh, when Turkey and uh, Sean O'Hare were fighting on the same show. There was an eight man talk about fighting several times in one night. Mm -hmm. There was an eight man kickboxing tournament that Bob was in, and he came in looking like a kickboxer, and he won that tournament. I'm still blown away that I actually witnessed him doing that. So you're right if he. If he focused in, man, he, he could do it. It was pretty amazing. Boy, and, Turk K, he, he just didn't have it, did he? Just he didn't have that want to get out there and, like, really no. take it to someone. No. And when the striking came involved, I mean, he was heavy-handed as all hell, but his agility just went – he just became so stiff and rigid that uh, even for an MMA guy, it's like, hey, Sylvester, just relax. Just put this dude on his back and smash him. He'll never get up. But, uh, yeah, he, um, Sylvester got some bad advice from a guy that had gotten in his ear. You know, he won his MMA debut in like 13 seconds. He knocked mm -hmm. out some like little Brazilian guy that I'd never fought before. But yeah. it made it like, but it made it his star like overnight. And K1 was going nuts. They're like, we have our new Bob Sapp here. So they booked him in his next fight against Gary Goodrich. And it was a perfect booking. And I understood why they booked that. And I love Gary. It's one of my favorite. Yeah, me people. too. They, they booked it for a reason. Let's have, okay, we saw him stand up and knock a guy out. Now let's see this NCAA heavyweight champion take down Gary Goodrich and stuff him so people can see that he's got this, you know, this rounded game. Mm -hmm. And then we'll build him up to the biggest guy in the world. Well, a kickboxing guy that he really believed in got it. Not not Eddie Millis. Eddie went nuts when this no, happened. No, no, no. I um, know who you're talking about. <laughs> you know, right? Remember the X-Men shorts and the whole nine yards? Everybody I, remembers that. 
I know all about it. I'm all familiar with all the precious jewelry and gemstones that we're talking about right now. Yes. He, he got in Sylvester's ear and said, hey, mm -hmm. go up and stand up against uh, Gary. And Eddie Mills and I were on him constantly saying, you got to take him down and stuff him. And he went out and he tried to fight him standing up and he got caught. Mm -hmm. K1 was furious, man. Um, it, you know, it, it was a shoot, but it went against their game plan. It definitely did. And it was know. set up for, for Sylvester to, to be showcased. Yes. Not, I mean, obviously nothing's guaranteed and Gary's no slouch, but they mm -hmm. figured that uh, as it, as it was matched, Bear should have taken him down and just been able to keep him there and then, and then take him out. But Gary came up to Eddie and I after the fight, literally, and thanked us because he said, I was sure that he was going to take me down, and I pretty much knew there was nothing I'd be able to do about it. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that was a that. wacky world. That's a wacky yeah, world. So speaking, speaking of that wacky world, and back, back to you and, and some of your fights that you did and, and didn't do. So you're, you're an OG. You're from that era. But you did not fight Bob Sapp. Um, mm -hmm. you, didn't, you didn't fight Take Abbott that I know of, unless it was in pro wrestling. Or I wrestled him, and uh, I wrestled him in IGF, and uh, it was. I don't know how good of a match it was. Tank was pretty blown up out there, and yeah, yeah. I mean he's doing his thing. But I, I love Tank. What a hilarious dude! I've always had such a great time. He's with awesome. Him. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I never awesome. fought Tank, and didn't fight Bob. I never wanted to fight Bob. Who who didn't you go with that you would have liked to? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I would love to have rematched Noguera for a third fight, for sure. I'd pretty much like to fight anybody I ever lost to, but I think that's a pretty typical response. But as for people that were available out there, we'll, we'll, and we'll, we'll remove Fyodor, too, because we already went over that. Um, hmm. A good question. Who who out there would I have liked to have fought? I, you know, I think maybe it would have been nice to have fought Alistair uh, in Strike Force, especially, mm -hmm. but um, because he's so he really came of his his own uh, uh, at when coming to heavyweight. Uh, watched him win the K1 GP, which uh, I thought was an incredible, obviously, accomplishment. But it was also great to see it. Uh, from a guy known as an MMA fighter, go out there and really assert himself and do well. Uh, and then the titles he's won. And I know things are not going the best uh, right now for him in MMA and the UFC. And it's not like he's out there being a slouch or losing to, to, to just like Johnny Nobody. And he's fighting with the best, some of the best guys out there. And it is, it is tough uh, in that environment. But I just think that he's done so many great things in the sport. Right. And he was such a beast that, yeah, that, that could have been cool. Just especially for guys of, of our experience levels and, and things like that to meet in the ring. Um, but yeah, he's a UFC guy. I'm in Bellator and this fight's <laughs> never going to happen, but it's all right. Uh, usually I think about stuff like, I wish I could have fought Volkan, you know, that kind of thing. Or right. if I could have ever gotten the ring with uh, Alexander Karelin, Wow, that would yep, have been nuts. Yep. Right. How how would you have done? Okay, for people who don't know, Alexander Karelin was known as the experiment. He was a Russian, mm -hmm. I'd say super heavyweight, not even heavyweight, right? Super uh, well, heavyweight. I mean, no, technically it was heavyweight had a 
I think it was unlimited for most of wrestling. And then I think maybe in the eighties, it had a cutoff at two eighty six. And so he used to cut weight to make two eighty six at like six foot seven. <laughs> so he, he was considered at one time, the most dominant athlete in the world, not just in mm -hmm. wrestling or sports, but in any sport. Yes. Um, when you say you would have liked to have fought him in, in wrestling or in mixed martial arts. Well, it, it would have been awesome to get on the mat with him in wrestling. It wouldn't have lasted very long. <laughs> See what it killed me. But uh, uh, MMA, you know, uh, even if it was, say, like a, a limited where, let's say, we didn't have clothes, like strikes of the face on the ground or something like that. That would have been awesome. Like in rings, uh, I would have had to have chopped his legs apart, try to try to pop away at his beak and just not get bounced on my head <laughs> that, well, but just know, to I, say that you're in the ring with him i mean I, yeah. i've gotten to fight some of my hero i got to fight dan severn and dan severn was a huge hero to me uh yep. when i was younger uh so that was surreal in and of itself but at some point you got to kill your idols if you want to try and get up on mountain olympus have you ever you know i one theme i've noticed during the um 43 minutes we've been on is you're, you're, you're very generous about everybody, and you can tell it's also very genuine. Have you fought anybody that you don't like? Yeah, I've, I've fought people that I wasn't too particularly fond of. Uh, it's not happened a ton. Uh, I know I didn't really like Frank Muir very much leading into our fight, but afterwards, and even then, um, whatever was personal about it didn't – you know, I didn't, I didn't, didn't see, sit deeply within me. And at the same time, I always, uh, always was aware to the fact in the forefront of my mind, he's a human being too. So who knows where this is stemming from? What, but this guy, this guy loves and lives. He's got family. He's got a, a father that's, that's looked over his career and that helped uh, guide him into martial arts from a young age. Uh, and so after the fact, you know, I got to, I think maybe after that, that ice was broken in a way, uh, things were able to be different. And after fighting somebody, and then I think also seeing how, how, how does somebody act on the other side, right? It's one thing to have been, if you're, if you're, if you're not the, if you're the loser of a, of a comp confrontation, how does the victor act? And the thing is, you know, why, why if there's no need there's no reason to act like a jerk and so i i did as much as not to and to allow whatever could happen after that to just be what it is and he's we've trained together since then uh you know i i really never had any intention to ever think of frank Muir in any particularly um uh, egregious way whatsoever and i'm glad that that's nothing that exists anymore. And I, I've got to meet his daughter, who's just an absolute killer. And in a way, uh, I texted him not that long ago uh, when I saw that his daughter was making her pro MMA debut. And I'm just like, oh, my God, how much older could I feel right now? This I know. That's crazy, isn't it? Wow. It's so yeah. bonkers. And I know that he must be absolutely over the moon uh, seeing the success and the the joy that his daughter gets out of competing and wrestling and com combat sports and it's it's dope you know i, I think that's that kind of stuff is so awesome 
All right, I want to move away from fighting for a moment here. At least I don't think I don't think this is a fighting question. But we'll find yeah, out. We'll, we'll, we'll just find out. Have to find this out. This yeah. may end up being a fighting question. I don't know. You had mentioned earlier that you sometimes did not make the best decisions in Rapungi, and so <laughs> Rapungi for those who are are not initiated, it's kind of like Blade Runner on acid set down in Tokyo. And I heard a stat once, Josh. I don't know if this is true or not, but I was told there are 2,000 liquor licenses in that one and a half square miles. Which other Did Bob tell possible. you this? It sounds like something Bob would have told you. That's a Bob I think it was Boss, actually, that told me that. Boss Rutten, I think, told me that. I, yeah, I can and, on that, too, yeah. And, and you got to think, though, with all the buildings that are, you know, seven, eight, nine stories, all the bars stacked on top of each other, maybe. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and when you walk these streets, everybody at midnight or three in the morning, it's chock full of fighters and supermodels and everything else you can imagine from like every country on earth, practically. So it's a recipe for some interesting stuff to go down, in other words. Yeah, um, I've, I've not any stories of me getting involved in any of those, any, any confrontations necessarily in Rapungi. I did once grab... so. One of the, you know, it's it's commonplace over there in Japan because of the uh, the visa system for Nigeria and Japan that a lot of Nigerians go over there and work the doors and, or they're, they're buskers and they're bringing people in and stuff like that. And, you know, these guys are pretty sizable. And Rapunky's a, a bit of a, a well, uh, I wouldn't say it's complete chaos, but it's a... Uh, <laughs> It's on the it's a, it's a live, it, yeah, it's a lively place. So <laughs> yes. there's there was a time where this this one tall, pretty sizable Nigerian guy and this this uh, this other dude who was the manager of a fighter, but he himself also was trained in kickboxing, kyokushin, and all. Like the guy can fight too, but he's all shit faced, as most people are wont to be wandering around the streets and and Rapungi, especially late at night. And I don't know what happened. Uh, the Nigerian guys on the street can be very obnoxious, very aggressive at times. Uh, that might've been it. I don't know. And a little dust up had happened. They're yelling at each other and the Nigerian guys sure had gotten ripped in their little scuffle. Like me, Eric hammer, a few other like big giant fighter MMA guys, pro wrestlers came up and, and we sorted it. In fact, I think Bobby Lashley might've even been there with us. And so we, we, we see it and we kind of, we, we pull it apart. And we're like, Hey, what the hell's going on? The one dude, the French guy is, he's wasting. He's like, this guy did X, Y, Z and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think you tried to shake him down for money or uh, it wasn't, it wasn't on the up and up. And at the end of the day, we, we're not going to be able to really, you know, sit these guys down and cross examine or figure out who was the bad guy. And the Nigerian guy was like livid and wants to fight him, all this kind of stuff he's like he tore my shirt he's gonna do this and he's gonna do that and i'm gonna do this and <laughs> and we just basically said to him like look if we let this guy this the, the dude you're scuffling we let him go ahead and let him do his thing he's just gonna knock you the fuck out so i don't think you want that and if you want to keep getting spicy i mean you don't want to fight any of us either so let's just call it good and the guy kind of it seemed like he came uh, back from the haze of whatever that emotional uh, uh, interaction when that emotional melee was, and I think he, he took stock real quick and was like, Ah, maybe that's not good because 
none of these guys are mad besides, you know, the drunk guy over there. Right. But they're telling me, don't do it. <laughs> so, and they're just like, hey, it's, I mean, if you want to go for it, but I wouldn't say it. I wouldn't suggest that you do so. <laughs> and so guys, like, uh, you know what? Tonight just sucks and bye. And then we had to throw the, the French dude in a cab and, and pay the guy like, please don't stop anywhere. Don't listen to him. Just take him straight to the hotel. There, he's, there you not go. Fit, he's not fit for service. All right, jo Josh, only because this is a podcast and we have to ask these types of questions. You're, you're not going to tell us who the drunk guy was, are you? Mm -mm. All right. Fair enough. All right. All right. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> do you remember Stefan Gamlin? Oh, yeah. German. Uh, huge dude. Didn't he also play World League uh, football? He did. Wow. How do you know all this stuff? <laughs> you you are like uh, like John Pauzer. You're a walking encyclopedia <laughs> on this stuff. I don't know. Yes. I don't know. There's something wrong with me. I, I, sometimes it becomes a benefit. <laughs> Other times it's just a bunch of useless, stupid shit hanging around in your head. Stefan, one of my best friends on this planet. I, I booked him to fight Bob Sapp also. Um Booked him to fight Jason Miller. Booked him to fight Stefan Greco. None of the fights went very well for Stefan, but that's all right. He liked to he liked to do his thing. Um, do you know Stefan won when UPW, my wrestling company, fought the NFL on Team Tough Man? Stefan won the whole thing, so that was a ah. feather in the cap pro wrestling for sure. <laughs> UPW <laughs> was, was a wild thing, man. I remember hearing stories of you running little mini camps for Mark Kerr, Kevin Randleman, uh, yeah. Mark Coleman. Everybody, and then Mark Coleman doing matches and doing running power bombs and shit. I'm like, oh goodness, I don't want to. I, I want to get buried I by the hammer. Hard back in the day to move to WWF, which it was called at the time, because that guy was a natural man. He was a natural. Yeah, he was. For and, yeah uh, him and Kevin both. We're doing that, but uh, Stefan, and and this will sound like gossip, but it's not only because Stefan likes to tell the story as well. Um, in Rapungi one night, after he got knocked out by Sam Greco, Stefan basically went zero and two in, in one night. And he went out, it was uh, Tom Howard, and he was <laughs> like, the most, and the most peace loving pro wrestler, uh, pro fighter on this planet, Tom Howard, no doubt about Such it. A good the dude. last guy that's ever going to get a fight, in a, like on a street. And mm -hmm. Stefan decided after about I don't know, 40 cocktails, maybe. No, again, no exaggeration. Right. He's that a big dude. Big dude. It might be a good idea to fight the New Zealand rugby team who was uh, in Rapungi <laughs> that night. <laughs> so, <laughs> why not? Right. So, um, Stefan got there, ganged. Right. He got, he got choked out and he was wearing like this nice white outfit. He peed his pants. So his outfit wasn't that white. Oh. And. He went back into Wall Street, continued drinking, while Tom jumped to the cab and fled for the airport. But it was okay at that point because he was inside drinking with the New Zealand rugby team. So all was cool. Um, but anyway, that's that's Rapungi for you, man. Um, you had mentioned, okay, you were on the right side of that story you just told. But you mentioned you made some bad decisions. Uh, I'm just, just being facetious. I mean, most of them are just drinking Not too even much. Not even one nah. bad decision? No, I've, I've never done anything. Well, at least nothing I had to pay a price for. How about that? All I right. got away yeah. with it. Do you have – um? Dude, I, I'm going to ask you a personal question. Maybe it's professional. What is, like, one of your biggest regrets in life? 
I mean, I, I love how you carry yourself, man. You're so together. It, it's so very real. And, you know, here on Talking Tub, Josh, we get into these things with people who, I mean, are really at the top of their world. But you find out there was some sort of downfall, some sort of crash, something that's that's really regretted. Is there anything like that that, that you're, first of all, that you've experienced and B, that you'd be sort okay of. sharing? Sort of, in that it's typically pretty easy for people to look back and, and have regrets. Uh, like I, I regret never ever being able to never being able to beat Miracle Crow Cop and never actually even being able to see him at my best. You know, it just, it sucks. Um, there's things I, there's all kinds of little things there, choices made or just the way things have turned out, even without my, my hand in it, that one could look back as a regret. But it's tough with that because if I was to regret it, you know, what, what can I do about it now? If, if, I, if I learn from it, well, I mean, it still gave me something. And regret usually follows uh, or what shortly follows regret is the idea of, well, doing it differently and getting a different outcome, getting a more favorable outcome. Well, I, I truly don't know what that more favorable outcome is to a degree because let's say, you know, beating Daniel Cormier. Okay. I would have got more money, more notoriety. I don't necessarily think I would have got the things that Daniel's got now with like his, his, uh, uh, his desk jobs with the UFC and stuff like that and accommodating stuff. I, I don't, I don't really know that these things would be that I would be a better me at this point. I, all I know is, is that I'm pretty happy with the person that I've, I've grown to become and to be accepting of that means that I need to accept that all of the ways in which I failed, I lost, um, I was either by my own hand or just someone was better or who knows what, right. In any way that, that something didn't work out in my way, that is part of what brought me to being the person that I am today. So it's tough because uh, I'll say this much. Any, the thing that I regret is this thing that I always, that I regret always that I will always regret. And that is any time that I didn't, I allowed myself to have too much anxiety or too much fear to, to, to push, to just go and do something when I'm thinking too much about uh, what some kind of external, um uh, the external reward or the external uh opinion the external um uh what 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 the external uh opinion is the best word i can come up with right now on on, on my actions would be what what is what do, how do i look what are people thinking about me what, eh. the, the, the better you are to get past that not only the better you can perform because you're just doing the best that you can do at that time, however good or bad that may be. But also I think it allows you to be more aware of uh, criticisms that would be valid or in ways that how, how you are being perceived and, and where, what you can draw from that to help give you cues to, to be better. Cause there's always tons of noise of criticism uh, like we talked about earlier, but at, even at times, even in the, myriad of just stupid comments there can be 
all kinds of information signal within that that can apply to you or just all applies to them specifically. But if you can draw from it what is what is useful and see where like, well, you know, even if such a thing isn't true about you, but it's being perceived as how you are, well, okay. Well, that's at least a way of trying to get a better understanding uh, under the skin of those that are viewing what you're doing. And so I can think back on times where I've been like, uh, I chickened out on something and it's like, man, you fucking, why do that? You know, let's say you failed, who cares? You know, the girl you didn't talk to or the the thing you didn't, you didn't put all that effort into, you know, and that's, this is something that's going to be a, a, a constant thing. Uh, just the, the times that you, you talk yourself out of doing something that, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't, if you don't succeed at it, it's not a big deal. Now, Josh, it's, I love that. It's, you know, wor words to live by, man. And it, you know, it's something I always say, it's what we do, how we look at life. It's 99% of choice, isn't it? And it's a lot, you know, it's a lot of choice. There's a lot of choice yeah, for, in that, a choice in, choice in how you take it, choice in how yep. you, uh, what you do with it, choice in whether you, you decide to take the leap or not. And, and, and a choice not to not get caught up in what mm -hmm. you maybe didn't do in your past that you think you should have done or that you did do that you think you shouldn't have done. You, like you mm -hmm. said, take talk and, and move on and, you know, I, I, I love where you are, and thanks for sharing that with us. I truly do appreciate that. Um, well, I mean, part of that is getting involved with a whiskey distillery, not just to the degree of having uh, a bottle, a, a product under my name, but it's it's also that I've gone in and I'm an assistant distiller, so I've done dis uh, distilling runs. I've I've done. Uh, practically every single step in the process of making whiskey before and i just walked in and just said well i know that there's plenty that i don't know but what can the only thing i can do about it is work and listen and and try fail and, and go ahead and i've made mistakes i've and i but I, I pay attention and i just i listen more than i talk surprisingly and uh just go forward and try to take in that experience uh i never i always kind of wanted to run a professional wrestling show and lo and behold here, here it is i've got six events now coming up uh the sixth of of our events for blood sport yeah. and josh I, I'm, there's sorry, always I'm so pressure. sorry I want, I want to interrupt for one second only because mm -hmm. I, I wanted to get to these two subjects i've got you here for an hour already i appreciate your patience i i know we've gone long and obviously we want to get to blood sport your pro wrestling promotion and to Warbringer, your your bourbon um, which I thought you just lent your name to for a brand. I didn't realize that you were that deep in the process yourself, which is amazing. Bloodsport first. I know you've always been a pro wrestling fan. You're an aficionado. You're a historian. You know that world. You now have the Bloodsport promotion. The, um, the URL is crawling across the bottom of our screen, everybody, while we're talking about this. Josh, what, why at this point in your career, in your life, are you promoting a pro wrestling brand? What's the genesis? Uh, the simple fact, or the simple answer is that uh, Brett at GCW reached out to me to compete in the first blood sport they did with Matt Riddle. And I just, there was a conflict, so a uh, scheduling conflict, so I couldn't make it. 
then when Matt Riddle got signed after the first Bloodsport show and all of his indie stuff to the WWE, they reached back out and said, hey, uh, would you be interested in taking over this project and on being, you know, the, the title name guy? For me, I thought, yeah. However, my caveat is that I want to book it, be producing it, agent it, what have you. It's not just about me wrestling. It's actually, I this if my name's going to be on this product, then it's got to be up to my standards and to the things that I, I believe in for professional wrestling. And, and the, the more complex answer is that I've always wanted to take the things that have been given to me by Billy Robinson and Carl Gotch and Antonio Inoki and Jushin Liger and Nagata and everybody that I have had the, the luck to work with in professional wrestling and all the people that have mentored me in professional wrestling and then bring that to today's current environment knowing that it's going to be radically different from what people are watching it's going to have uh, a very long uh, steep climb but that it's built on things that are universal that are pure and that I feel like you could take to any part of the globe and it doesn't matter whether they speak your language or not. They speak the language of wrestling and they will get it. And, and it's a really cool product. Um, you know, I, I've seen it. I'm, I'm a fan for, for MMA fans oh, out there. The I'm guy just, that used I'm to run UPW is a fan of, of, of fighters. <laughs> but, you know, a, I know. Imagine that. dude. I always yeah. love reality based stuff, believe it or not. Um, even though, you know, we promoted the prototype and, and the rest. Sure. Um, no, but I mean, you had a whole gym full of guys that were were fighter based and otherwise. I mean, it was a, yes. it was a real uh, oh. menagerie of guys. Hell, I I remember when they you guys would roll in at Raw after I was done training with uh, with Rico and and Vlad. Yep. You guys would show up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I always loved it. I, I think your product, Bloodsport, is great. A any pro wrestling fans watching this right now probably know it. If you're watching and you're a mixed martial arts fan and you haven't seen it. If you're not an MMA fan or a pro wrestling fan, still check it out. I encourage you to do it. It's a very different product and, and very, very cool. Where are you going to go with it, Josh? What's the goal for Bloodsport? Uh, just to basically take it as high as I can take it. And I don't know what that's going to be. I'm not looking in any way to ever sell out the ethos of what it is. And I, I know that seems pretty cliche, I'm sure. You hear that all the time. And then, of course, somebody completely sells out the product. Uh, but... I, I don't think it works that way with this. It, it will it, It's built on something that is uh, very sincere. And if you take that away, it just, it, it won't work. It will fail. And well, it, it's important. It has to be pure. There's no doubt of it has to, has to remain yeah. as, in, has to keep its integrity to be what it, what it's destined to be. So speaking of um, pro wrestling, where it's not about being reality based, so you're promoting blood sport now and it's going well, mm -hmm. you have events coming up and I want to, uh, mm -hmm to that in a second so in the midst of all this blood sports happening it's going well you're doing great you see the future evolving the way you want it to evolve and the phone rings and it's triple h saying mm -hmm. josh barnett we want to sign you to wwe what do you do sure let's talk terms and as long as i get to keep doing blood sport on the side we're good all right Fair i enough. mean i have a relation i have a relationship with paul as it is, uh, because I've just got, as they as they say in the business, my boys over in WWE. 
So I, I talked to him. I talked to Regal. I talked to those guys uh, when needed. Um, you know, I've got Shane. I trained Shayna Baszler from the ground up as a professional wrestler. And, you know, I, I, I manage her. So she, I've got her in the WWE, uh, both Jessamyn Duke and Marina Shafir over there. Uh, and then guys like uh, uh, Timothy Thatcher, who I've worked with a lot. He's also now in the WWE. And uh, there's a few other folks who I just have had time a little bit with on the mat who I've worked with, but they're, they're, they're not maybe exactly my boys, but I keep an eye on them just to make sure they're doing well. And I'd love to steal even a few. I'd love to steal a bunch of them actually to use for blood sport. I mean, Bobby Lashley, come on, that guy, oh, right. I, he is, he's yep. not only is he one of my boys, but he, the fact that he's champion now only makes absolute complete sense to me because he is one of the apps. He is one of the best guys in that company and he's tougher than in shit in real life he's a he's a solid fighter in real life he's great he's i cornered him as he's winning belts so it's great to see him holding the belt in that wwe uh, ring like he should uh, but i would love i would not only would i love to take someone like him or or uh valter or of course on my girls that are over there and tim thatcher and uh and riddle or brock but the one that would surprise people maybe is I would love to have John Hennigan, a.k.a. you know, uh, Johnny, Johnny, Mingo, what some, else did he Johnny go whatever. Yes. Right. Yeah. Because uh, John used to come and train with me uh, a couple times a week. And that dude, not, of course, everybody knows what an insane athlete he is. Like, it's it's mind numbing. I just sit there and go like, hey, go, oh, yeah, hey. Uh, I'm going to work out a little bit before I uh, go over there and, and get in the ring with you guys. Is that cool? Like, yeah, sure. No problem. All right, I just need this little space here, and he just does like backflips for ten minutes or something. Oh, the like, the parkour! You've seen his parkour stuff, of course. Amazing. He's insane, and he's two hundred. He's like two hundred and twenty pounds and yeah. six two, doing all this crap. So, uh, but he wrestled in college. Uh, you know, he has some skills, and it's funny he hadn't really been shooting in a long time. And I just put him on the mat with this other dude. It's like two thirty, and. They're kind of going at it, and the guy takes a shot on on John, and he he like like a cat getting scared from behind. Rare, he just flip like just launches over the top of the guy, like and the dude shoots. And he's like, where the hell did he go? And all of a sudden, John's on top of him, and John would like shoot from six feet away and just fly into the guy's leg and finish the single and peek out and get behind him. Like, okay, <laughs> you know, this is pretty damn cool. Yeah, and I, and I love Hennigan. He's one of my favorite people in the business personally. Um, a lot of history. Very nice guy. In my mind, I'll say about him what I said about Scott Steiner 20 years ago. If they book John Hennigan properly, he potentially will be the future of that company. I really do believe that. He'll emerge from the tag team with The Miz, who's another friend, and, and really, really set the world on fire. I believe he has that potential. Well, I mean, I, I understand the the want to use uh, John that the way that they do. I get that, uh, but you know, especially you know the whole Morrison gimmick how it was, and but I too I I feel like John's the kind of guy if he had the right agent behind him to try and mold things a little bit and kind of kind of yeah. not change John, but actually in some ways boost up John like, Hey, no, no, no. Really just really, enhance, enhance really... what, what and who he is. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, John isn't, 
isn't one likely to be like, oh, you know, I did a good job. It's like, no, no, you actually did, dude. You're really good. You're way better than you give yourself credit for. Like, have, a, have a bit more confidence about yourself. And, 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 you know, I'm not saying not to lose any humility, but just you, you are really talented and yeah. you let it sh just bro, go for it. And, and just uh, a little, a little steering here, a little steering there, you know, just yep. my opinion. And I think that, yeah, John would be uh, top of the company, you know? I'm right there with you. Before we get on to War to Warbringer, which we should probably wrap up with, I have to ask you about this because you brought you brought up Jessamine Duke, who mm -hmm. and, and I and I'll mention I've always had a bit of a crush on her, so I have to bring it up. Um, right. What's going up? What's going on with her, man? What what are her prospects like right now? I know she was injured recently. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know her. I've never met her. What is she like? And what are her prospects? Can she make it to the top? I mean, it's really just up to her. Uh, she had her, her she had her elbows fixed essentially. So uh, years of training and and fighting, there's debris and stuff like that in the elbow joints, which that's pretty common. And so it was it wasn't a very complicated surgery, but they went in there and cleaned some stuff up. And honestly, um, I think Jessamine even MMA to to pro wrestling is one of those people of untapped potential. And so I, I know, and, and, and yeah, I'm biased, but I've seen not just under my eye in the gym, but even in some moments out there of what I've caught of her in NXT and doing stuff around that, uh, she has some like this latent energy just waiting to get out. And so it's, it's for her, it's also a matter of, you know, what does she want to do with it? And people need to understand that you can be really talented at something and also decide that that's, I don't want to go down that path to that degree because it doesn't, it doesn't, is it not as fulfilling as I'd hoped it would be, even though the talent is there that, so whether or not you choose to, to go that way or not, you know, just be true to yourself. So she just needs to figure out how to allow that to happen. And it's not easy in an environment like the WWE because there's a lot of cooks in the kitchen all the time. And oh, it yeah. can be tough to know where you have that freedom to, to do what you need to do. And uh, I, I I think that if, if she really wants to rise to the upper echelon, she could do that for sure. Uh, she's got a great look and she has tons of talent uh, that she could put on display. And, and as a person, she's just a, she's a, a lovely, caring, uh, very goofy individual who has a great heart. Well, I'd, I'd love to see her take her shot. Uh, a good friend of mine, Teresa Serrano. I don't know if you know that name or not. Um, she, she benefited by Jessamine's recent elbow injury because they put Teresa in the tag team spot for the Dusty Rhodes tournament with Marina Schaffer. And Teresa is now known as Zoe Stark. It's Tom Howard's wife, believe it or not. Oh, was that, what was her, what was her wrestling name before that? It was Lacey Ryan. And That's now right. it's uh now it's Zoe Stark. And they just put her in her second match ever on next last week against uh, Io Shirai. So they obviously think a lot. They think a lot of her. She she benefited by that. Um, and Tom Howard's wife. I mean, small world. The circle keeps closing and closing. Um, but uh, for what it's worth, Josh, probably not a whole lot. If you think of it, please tell Jessamine. I say hi, and I'm a big fan. And 
I wish her the best. Um, no, I will. Warbringer, we've had you on for an hour and 30, wow, for a long time, a lot longer than we usually go. Man, thank you for your patience. You, you are now in the bourbon business, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. Until you brought it up a few minutes ago, we started to talk about it. I, I honestly, and I hope this doesn't sound like, like a negative thing because it's not. I thought it was Josh Barnett lending his name to a manufacturer to create a label. And I understand now it's something entirely different. You're, you're vested in it on every, on every level, it sounds like. What, what was the impetus to get into this world and, and where are you going to go with this? Well, I mean, the idea, or I should say, uh, the way you figured how this was structured is, I think that's going to be common for the most part. I mean, Conor McGregor, I would imagine, is not out there milling grain for for one of his batches. Although I'll give him some some credit in that he's at a distillery that's doing a really really high production runs. So you know, a, a, a grain milling batch might be tons, whereas I'm doing stuff by hand with a bag uh, or wow. taking all our smoked corn and and then feeding it through the hopper and all that kind of stuff. So we're milling, we're getting the, we're doing the grain milling by hand. Uh, we operate the stills by hand. And of course uh, we, you know, run over the, we're, we're loading the fermentation tanks. Everything's by hand. I put half the time uh, at least, if not more, you can figure that if you buy a bottle of our stuff, Warbringer or the Warmaster edition, really anything out of our distillery, I put the label on it or filled it or capped it, wow. or packed it, or all of them. I don't know. You know what I mean? Because because we are really a craft distillery. And how it all came about is that I've been a big whiskey connoisseur for years, kind of something I picked up really in Japan uh, by being over there and just decided to start trying different whiskeys. It just looked so appealing to me. Plus, my, my parents used to drink whiskey uh, growing up, and that was really the alcohol, the spirit of choice in the house. So starting off with some of the stuff from Suntory and just being brought up through through that wonderful world of Japanese whiskey, and it just continued to, to grow from there from, into bourbons and scotches and man, you name it. I, I'm a big fan of the whole the whole industry and, and the spirit as it is. Uh, so I had looked to try and get involved one way or the other. I wanted to have a, a whiskey on market and I wanted to be involved in it in, in some way. And with Sespe Creek, they approached me about doing something and I went up and met them in Oxnard and we did a whole tasting and everything. And I got to talk to everybody there and the head distiller, David, and we were so uh, like-minded about what we wanted to make. And they were so dedicated to their process that I was sold. So I said, let's, let's do this. And that graduated from just picking the barrels because uh, the War Master Edition is a single barrel cast strength product. And I, I picked those barrels to, to certify that they should be the War Master Edition. And then from that, it was like, well, I'll, I'll, you're just, you're up the road. Uh, I, w w there's times that we need to get things moving. So I'm going to be a part of this. And I'd like to learn this process myself, not just so that it makes me more knowledgeable as someone that is in the industry, but because life is about opportunities to grow life is about becoming more uh, of a well-rounded individual or, or someone that has more knowledge in the world and 
I like the idea of being a Renaissance man. Uh, so being involved in the process the way it is from the most menial task to, to the most advanced task, it's just how that I want that journey of life to be done, you know? Yeah, and you're, you're, fully, you're fully vested, which I did not know. So, I mean, admiration and congratulations for that. And if, if people want to try it, uh, John and Rachel, they have the crawl going across the screen. I'm guessing that's where mm -hmm. they could go, joshbarnett.com forward slash warbringer or, or, uh, or www.warbringerbourbon.com. And uh, there's also um, in the Southern California area, I believe that we are in Costco in San Diego and Costco in God, Apple. Well, no, I, I'm the worst at this kind of thing. We are in some stores in, uh, I believe that we're in KNL wines and we are at uh, Fountain Liquors and uh, a few. We're trying to get out there. We are small. That's awesome. And you, you will see us on, on the Joe Rogan podcast all, all the time because that's what Joe drinks. Uh, that's and we great, keep him, we, we keep them uh, uh, loaded up. Uh, and yeah, our, I'll we, bet. We, hey, if, 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 if I want to get a bottle, if I order one, can I get a signed label? Yeah, yeah, no, no, no sweat. I'll, I'll do it for you. Awesome. No big deal. I'm gonna order a case. Um, I'm gonna order a case from you. Um, that, so you're a Scotch fan. This, okay, we're gonna get back to how to watch blood sport, and then I'll let you go. I promise. But I, I have to go for a, one more departure while while I have yeah. you. You're, you're a Scotch fan. Mm -hmm. You may be a little young for the for the following, but I'm gonna bring it up. Are, are you a fan of '80s music by chance at all? Absolutely. So every year in Scotland. There's a festival called the Rewind Festival. I don't know if you've heard of that or not. Again, you're, you might be a little young for this, but they bring out literally like 30 new wave bands like Soft Cell and the Human League and Frankie okay. Goes to Hollywood. And they all do their one or two hits, but they do it on the grounds of one of the most famous Scotch distilleries in uh, Scotland. So uh, I'm, I'm putting a group together this year to go. I've talked to Boss about it, talked to Butterbean about it. I'm going to let you know, man. If you want to join us, that'd be awesome. How is Butterbean? I haven't talked to that dude. No, Eric is such a sweetheart. He introduced me to uh, – to, um, oh, come on. Don't let me forget this guy. Louis Anderson. And I was a <laughs> – Yeah, I'm they're a good friends. Louis, they were, I'm a huge yeah. Louis Anderson mark. And yeah. I remember for – you know, I've met – Hell, I kicked the whole party out of Jason Statham's house once for him. Uh, you know, I, I've met all these celebrities like like yourself, like you have, and uh, you know, usually I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to mark out about it. It's it's awesome to be in their presence, and I can always respect the things that they do and why I'm a fan of theirs. But you know, it's just like whatever. But I remember meeting uh, Louis and just being like. I love yep. you. You know, it's just bonkers. Yeah. And, and Eric is uh, such a, such a sweetheart of a man. One of my, it, it truly is one of my be probably five best friends in the world. He's doing well. Um, he lost about 120 pounds in the past half year. Um, his health is good. He's doing well in his business. He's blowing up on TikTok. If you can imagine better being on TikTok, you'll, you'll ne you never know what's next. But, um, he's a he is a very personable guy. He's very goofy, yes. so I guess I could see that. He, he is a great, great person. All right, where can we see Bloodsport? You have events coming up. You've got half a dozen events on the schedule. Yeah, which so are all of consequence. How can people watch Bloodsport? 
Well, you can order it. Uh, we still have Bloodsport 4 and 5 up at Bloodsport, uh, www. I guess you don't need to do that anymore. Bloodsport.watch. And uh, there's also um, our catalog on Fight TV, which you can view it there. And then upcoming is Bloodsport 6 with uh, me taking on John Moxley as the main event. And that is going to be live on Fight on April 8th. April 8th, you and John Moxley live. That's mm-hmm. that's a big event. That's it's huge. It's it really it huge. big. It's, it's and, easily and, the biggest, one of the biggest, if not the biggest match I've ever had. Dude, that is that's going to be amazing. Uh, well, you'll uh, you, you'll get my pay per view participation that evening. I can promise you that much for sure. And uh, I, I I really look forward to that. Josh, I keep saying we're done. I have to ask you: Have you seen team fights out of Latvia? I don't think I've seen those ones, but I have seen some team fights. I remember there was one that I saw a while back, and it was like Sweden versus Poland, but I don't know where that's it was probably, at. That's probably team fights out of Latvia. I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah, and the Polish team beat the crap out of the Swedish team. <laughs> right. Um, I don't know why I'm bringing it up. I happened to look at it today <laughs> for half a minute. It's just it's It's so MMA pro wrestling hybrid that I thought if you hadn't seen it before – I could turn you on to it and you'd appreciate it, but it makes well, sense that you've seen that before. There's a couple of things that you might find interesting uh, along those lines. One is a uh, battle of nations, which is uh, a whole team conflict, but everybody's wearing full medieval armor and hitting each other with weapons and shields. So there are, there are small skirmishes. And then at the end of the whole events, as the teams, uh, each nation's teams do their thing, then there's just like a whole, whole broad, Battle Royal, like everybody's just on the field at once, kicking the crap out of each other. Uh, and I have a friend named Chris who competes in that. He made it to Team USA, so I'll have to uh, have to cheer him on. But then there's also something that used to have they used to run in Russia called Hip Fights, H I P, and it was two on two MMA in a like American Gladiator style uh, obstacle course. Kind of thing. Oh, that's, how do so I not know about this? Wow. They're climbing up all over blocks and over hurdles and stuff, and socking each other and trying to armbar one another as they're falling down big foam padded structures. Uh, I don't know how I miss these things, but I'm definitely looking them up. <laughs> Thanks for the tips, man. Um, yeah. Before I let you go, here comes the heavy question of the night, and and I, I want to ask you this because. In my estimation, man, you you you're so present, you're you're so on point. So here comes a big question, unrelated to pretty much everything we spoke about. There, there are so many people out there now that will be watching this. So many people in in the world that you know are experiencing challenging times unlike ever before. Um, they're, they're questioning themselves. They're questioning the world. What's going to happen in their lives tomorrow? People are hurting out there. What, what, what does Josh Barnett tell people to motivate them to put, to put their minds in a direction that could be helpful to them today and tomorrow? Well, for one, don't figure that your challenges are uh, taken upon by just you yourself. I mean, everybody has their own individual challenges, but everybody in the world is going through a challenge of one thing or the other. Uh, they may vary in intensity at times. They may vary in severity, but Life is about overcoming. Life is about getting stronger. Life is about uh, acknowledging that you you have weaknesses, that you are not always the strongest in every area, but 
you know, you, you work on those things, you make those weaknesses into strengths, or you figure out how to circumvent those things that are your weakest parts of yourself so that you can then uh, approach them later. And the world will never cease to be difficult in one degree or the other. And that it's like, was it Edison said that, you know, he didn't experience failure. He just experienced, uh, or he didn't experience a thousand failures. He's he experienced a thousand ways that something won't work. And so it just taught him, maneuvered him on the path to under, to finally getting to the answer that he's looking for. And it's, it's funny. Cause I was, uh, I was reading Nietzsche today and one of my favorite quotes of his is from the antichrist. And it is what is good. Uh, all that heightens the feeling of power, the will to power itself. Uh, and what is bad, all that is born of weakness. What is happiness? The feeling of uh, the power is growing, that uh, resistance is overcoming, is being overcome. And so that's the thing. Everybody is in a state. You're always overcoming uh, whatever it is. And you may not win that battle today or tomorrow or next week, but that you don't, you just don't roll over for it. And you just keep moving forward and you make the most out of who you are and what you have when you have it. And when you know better, you do better. Thank you. Thank you, man. That's like I said once before earlier, words to live by. And and I appreciate that probably more than you know. Josh, we've had you here for a long time. Thanks so much for being on tonight. Um, everybody watching, here's my suggestion. Order a case of Warbringer. Order Bloodsport. Sit back and have a great bourbon while you watch one of the coolest products on uh, pro wrestling slash MMA available today from uh, brought to you both by Josh Barnett. Thank you, Josh, man. It was really good to see you. Thanks, Rick. Nice to talk to you. And uh, hopefully we'll cross paths soon. Appreciate it, my friend. Thank you. Take care. Good night. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that.